ever, you ever wonder what's up with that song? Lords a-leaping, that's, that, that's a gift. Maids a-milking, that's a gift you would give somebody? Well, what a lot of people don't know is that that song is symbolic. There's a lot of symbolism in it. You see, when King uh, Henry VIII, uh, well, he wanted to get a divorce, and Catholic Church said, no, he said, fine, I'll form my own church, Church of England. So from 1558 to 1829, it was actually in England, it was illegal to be Catholic. Okay, so you could actually at one time lose your life or your freedom or something like that if you professed to be Catholic. So the Catholics wanted to do something about that. So they invented this song which is symbolic of their catechism, their beliefs. So they would teach this to their kids. And so the, the, the 12 days of Christmas has this, has this like really secret meaning to it, you know, full of mystery. So let me, I want to get this right. So let me, let me go ahead and read this. Uh, any guess for a partridge in a pear tree? Christ, Christ on the cross. Two turtle doves were the Old and New Testament. Three French hens, faith, hope, and love, the greatest virtues. Four calling birds were the four gospels. Five golden rings were the first five books of the Old Testament or the Pentateuch. Six geese of laying were the six days of creation. Seven swans of swimming were the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Eight was the eight beatitudes. Nine was the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ten was Ten Commandments. Okay. All right. Hey, you're still awake. Good deal. Uh, Eleven pipers piping were the eleven faithful apostles. And the 12 drummers drumming were the 12 points of doctrine in the Apostle Creed. Isn't that interesting? You know, that they would do something like that? You know what's really cool? It's not true. I just made it up. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not. This is something that's been circulating around the Internet for a long time. And it's not true. You see, in, in, in England, they had these, they would play these memory games, and this is just a silly song memory game to see who could remember the most stuff, and they tried to make it as just as silly as, just as silly as possible. And the reason I wanted to do that is to just demonstrate that, man, people will believe anything, won't they? I had you all, didn't I? Okay. <laughs> Well, see, what you do is you, it, it, it's, it's easy, and you, and you see this every Christmas, every Easter, you know, you get all the cable channels coming out with all those programs that say the Bible isn't really true, and we have the, we have the secret meaning, and, you know, uh, Jesus wasn't really born, and Mary wasn't really a virgin, and all this other stuff, and all this stuff comes out on all the channels, and you hear it, and they just happen to time it every year with, you know, a major Christian holiday. So you take a bit of scripture out of context and you put in some secret hidden meanings and create all this mystery and stuff and okay, then you've got a really good story, okay? And you've probably heard some of them. You know, a recent, a recent blockbuster movie and novel said that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were actually married and had kids and those children became the royalty of Europe. Remember that one? Remember that one? I got one that's even better. It's so... It, it's so, out, it's so out there I had to write it down. Now, this is, a, this is a major religion. This is what they believe. Billions of years ago, billions of years ago, the intergalactic overlord Zenu used a film to brainwash our souls into believing the world's major religions. 
Anybody want to take a guess at that one? Yeah, ask Tom Cruise or John Travolta about that one. Okay. So, you know, what, what I'm trying to say here is, is, is people will believe anything, you know, if it's tied to a little bit of scripture. And people are looking for, you know, to be, you know, excited and have the secret information and be awed by this stuff. Well, the fact of the matter is in Colossians chapter 1, this is Paul writing. He says, I have become its, and by its he means the church, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. Folks, the secret meaning and the mysteries have now been revealed. That's why we have the Bible. That's why Christ came. None of this stuff is hidden anymore. You see, our, our whole series on Christmas is titled Wonderland about the wonder of, Christ, of Christmas. Nothing's hidden in secret anymore. And the Bible is so full of wonder and mystery that's been revealed it's incredible. Today, I'm going to take just a few minutes. I'm not going to preach today. I'm going to teach. So it's going to be a little shorter. You're welcome. <laughs> so and today what I want to talk about, I want to talk about the why of Christmas. Why did we have to have Christmas? Why did Jesus have to be born? Why? Did God have to become a man? You ever thought about that? Why did God have to become a man? I mean, I believe it happened. I know it happened. My sins are forgiven. But why did God have to become a man? Well, the Bible explains why. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible, that's what it's about. That's why it was written, the whole thing. If you read the Bible with that in mind, you go, oh, well, that makes sense. The whole Bible starts to come together with this entire theme. It explains why Jesus had to come in time and space. So for the, I'm going to try to explain the entire Bible within 30 minutes. So <laughs> this ought to be good, all right? Okay. See, there is, we're going to unravel this mystery. And we're going to explain the wonder of Christianity, the wonder of the Bible, why God had to become a man, why Christ came. You see, the history of the world can be explained in a very simple way. The Bible is written as a series of covenants that God made with man. That is the overview. There were, there were several of them. But before I get into that, I want to kind of explain what a covenant is and how they understand what a covenant is in the ancient Near East, where Christ is from. You see, in the ancient Near East, a covenant was a blood bond for life. There was always the shedding of blood and the taking of oaths. And if the terms weren't kept between the two parties, you forfeited your life. That's what a covenant was. See, and covenants weren't just between two people. They were between entire tribes, entire families. And not just for those two families, but 
all of their future generations to come. It was a big deal. And they, had a, they even had ceremonies for this, uh, for a covenant to take place between tribes and families and even between God and man, as we're going to see in a minute. See, between all these tribes, a representative was chosen to represent their family, their tribe, not just the ones living, but the ones for future generations always. Both sides had representatives. And they would recount the histories of both parties. If you, if you, if you read through some of these covenants, you'll see that that happens every time. And there's always a sacrifice. It's usually a bull. And this bull would be killed and split right down the middle. There would be lots of blood. Okay? And both representatives would walk between those two pieces of this carcass full of blood. And they'd walk through it, symbolizing, if me or any of my tribe breaks this covenant, that is what's going to happen to me. You forfeit your life. It's a serious, serious covenant. So, in the Old Testament, when you read a covenant was made, or I made a covenant, it really means to cut a covenant. You ever heard of like a, um, you know, cut a contract or cut your deal? That's what it comes from. It comes from the Hebrew root karat, which means to cut. So what you're doing is you're cutting a covenant in splitting this bull and walking down the middle of it. And there was usually some sort of visible reminder, usually some sort of scar on the arm or the hand or something like that that says, I am in covenant with these people. And then you would exchange names. Say if the, if the, if the, if the Millers made a covenant with the Smiths, we would be like the Smithlers or the Millsmiths. So like, and forever and always, that would be their new name. They would exchange pieces of their name. And then there was a covenant meal that went with it and uh, along with some other stuff. And God, throughout history, has had major covenants. And these major covenants, he made one with Adam. He made one with Noah, Abram, Moses, David. And then he went along to the new covenant. But today, I'm going to cover three because I think you'll get the message through that. We're going to look at God's covenants that he made with Adam, one that he made with Abraham, and the one he made with, with Moses. We're going to take a look at those, and we're going to find the clues, the mystery, the wonder that comes and helps to explain why God had to become a man. You with me? Okay, you ready? Okay. We're going to start with Adam. See, Adam sinned, and the whole human race plunged into sin. So something had, to be, something had to happen. So God made a covenant. And in that covenant, he promised a deliverer. Okay? Now in this next scripture, God is speaking to Satan. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking to Satan. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, you've got to look at that I will, he will crush your head. That's a death blow, okay? He will kill you. Now think about that for a minute because it's a clue. From the start, God promises a deliverer. This deliverer is going to be a descendant of Adam. He's going to be a man and he's going to kill Satan. Well, wait a minute. How do you kill a spiritual being? How can a man kill 
the spiritual being. Satan at one time was the highest of all the angels. How do you do that? Only God can kill a spiritual being. But wait a minute, it's going to be a descendant of Abraham. Hmm. It's going to be a man, but it's got to be God. Interesting, isn't it? That's our first clue in Genesis. And it is a covenant. Where's the sacrifice? Take a look at Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Well, why did God do that? What, he doesn't like fig leaves? The fig leaves weren't good enough? Fig leaves were fine. See, animal blood was shed. An animal was sacrificed for that sin. And God made garments of it. Well, why? Why garments? Why couldn't he just sacrifice the animal? Well, see, God clothed them with the sacrifice so that when he looked at Adam and Eve, what he saw was the sacrifice for their sin whenever he looked upon them. See, they were supposed to die. So God established right from the start that, okay, I will make a substitute. I will kill an animal instead of you. And I'm going to clothe you with them. So that when I look at you, I'm going to be looking at the sacrifice for your sins. And I want you to wear them, the sacrifice for your sins. When God looks at you, when God looks at you, what does he see? Take a look at Galatians chapter 3. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. The sacrifice for you, you are clothed in that. See, the sacrifice that was made for Adam and Eve was a shadow of what was to come. You know, the covenant also promises a coming Messiah. And so he's going to be the covering. He's going to be the sacrifice. 1 Corinthians says this, 15. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, a life-giving spirit. Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Interesting. God and man. Let's move on to Abram. See, God made a covenant with Abram after he called him out of his hometown, Ur of Chaldea. And it was the foundation of, God, of how God was going to treat his nation, Israel. And there's a covenant sacrifice in Genesis 15. This is the this is, the, this is the covenant here. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared, and passed between the pieces. Hmm. There's a lot there to cover. See, they also exchanged names like they did with government in, in covenants. Abram became Abraham or Abraham. Sarai became Sarach. That H sound, that ch, that's a central sound in Yahweh. Yahweh. There was an exchange of names. And note who walked between the sacrifice. 
When the sun set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared, passed between the pieces. Abraham didn't walk through it. Only God did. Hmm. What's God, why did God do that? Because what God is saying here is that even if you, you or your descendants break this covenant, I will pay the price. This one's going to be on me. I'm going to take the punishment. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. God die? What's up with that? God can't die. It's another clue. Where do you hang that? God is saying, I'm going to die for your sins, but God can't die. How can God be mortal? Starting to pick up on some of these clues now? There's also a promise that came in the covenant in Genesis 17. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That's the heart of the covenant. See, generations later, this covenant was still in effect. You know, because it's, it's, this covenant lasts forever. Okay, and, and Israel became captive in Egypt and they were slaves and God saw their suffering. He was still under covenant. He was their defender. They were in covenant with God. Exodus 6.5. God, this is God speaking. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant, the one that we just talked about. So he came to Moses. He says, Moses, here's what I want you to tell Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. These are my people. I'm in covenant with them. Let them go, or else you deal with me. You pick on them, you mess with him, You mess with me. That's what a covenant is. And Pharaoh refused. We all know the story. He sent all the plagues, right? Which was amazing. Until he came to the very last plague, which was the death of the firstborn in every family. Let my people go, or the firstborn in your family is going to die. Okay? But he did provide a way out, which was the Passover. The Passover was a remembrance meal of the Abrahamic covenant. The Lord said, this is what I want you to do. You take a lamb without blemish and kill it so that the firstborn wouldn't die. And I know Damon talked last week about, you know, it was a spotless lamb. And that's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to baptize, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world, not just your family. The final Passover lamb. But what I want to talk about here is that notion of a firstborn. You see, it has a double meaning. It's rich. You know, in terms of the last, in terms of the of this last plague here, the firstborn meant the oldest in your family. But the firstborn is also a title. That means most cherished or or the most honored, the one on whom our family is going to put their hopes in for, for, for our generation. 
Actually, not necessarily the oldest. Exodus 4.22 says this. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. Part of that covenant. You mess with them, you mess with me. You see, Israel was his people. Israel was his firstborn. The symbolism here is just so rich. The wonder, the mystery that's being revealed. You see, disobedience required the death of the firstborn son. Hmm, another clue. You see, a lamb was a substitute for the real thing, for the firstborn son. Colossians chapter 1 says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Another clue as to why God had to become a man. Finally, let's look at the covenant with Moses. The covenant was made through the representative, Moses. He was made with all of Israel. He was given the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And here's the heart of the covenant, Exodus chapter 19. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. That can also be translated firstborn. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is the covenant. This is the heart of the covenant that was made on Mount Sinai when he was given the Ten Commandments. You see, it's here where God established their annual celebration called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. It's where once a year, once a year the Israelites were forgiven their sins. You see, the high priest, and this was ordained by God. You can, you can read about this in Leviticus. See, the high priest would take, on the Day of Atonement, he would take two goats, okay? And they would draw straws for the goats, and one would be sacrificed. It would be killed for the forgiveness of sins. And then the other one, the high priest would lay his hands on the goat's head, confess all the sins of the nation, and then this goat would be led out into the wilderness and set loose, never to come back, gone forever. So there's two things going on here. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the twofold forgiveness. Number one is there's the forgiveness of the sin through the sacrifice. Then it's the removal of the sin, never to be remembered again. It's the same way that we've forgiven today, never to be remembered again. But there's one little problem with that. The goat wasn't really gone. It was still alive. It was still wandering around. So it wasn't really removed forever. It was forgiven, but not really removed. So what's all this sacrifice about then? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hmm. Where does that leave us? This mystery. Keep unraveling this wonder of why God had to come. So why did Christmas have to happen? Why did God have to be born a man? Well, let's review. 
God promises to kill Satan through a descendant of Adam, but we know that only God can destroy him. So his descendant is God. Hmm. If a covenant is broken, the next thing we know, if a covenant is broken or sin, death is the penalty. But God made the covenant with himself when he walked between the bulls pieces alone. So God has to die, but, but God can't die. So God has to be made mortal, a man. The third thing, God allowed a substitute for our death. You know, on animal sacrifices, but now we just learn that animal sacrifices, it's impossible for them to take away sin. So what does that leave us? It means the covenant must be fulfilled. Man has to die. There is no substitute. Remember the covenants in the ancient Near East where you had to have a representative of each party and then God walked through the bull alone? It was a covenant between God and man. So in order for that covenant to work, God had to be both. God and man. Some might say, but wait a minute, those covenants were made with Israel. Not with us. Not with us. The question is then, who is Israel? Sure, Israel is a people descended from Abraham, but look at Ephesians chapter 3. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, us, are heirs together with Israel. Who is Israel? You can read throughout the New Testament. You are Israel. You are the Israel God had in mind. So this is the real wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas. The the thing that is amazing. The thing that is almost beyond comprehension. This is how much God loves you that he would make a covenant where he would pay the price of death. That's why we sing the old Christmas carol, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. And we sing newer songs. The band's going to come out in just a second and sing a new song. We want you to to listen to it. And some of the words, a throne in a manger, a cross in a cradle, the hidden revealing this glorious plan of this child who would suffer. This child who would conquer the sin of every woman and the sin of every man. The hidden revealing this glorious plan. It's no longer hidden. It's no longer a secret. From the beginning of time, God knew that he was going to have to become a man. And that's what Christmas is all about. The wonder of Christmas? What is the wonder of Christmas? It's how much God loves you, that he would do that. Let me leave you with this thought at the end, and I hope you see it in a whole new light. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, you, 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, that you, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's bow our head in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. Father, we thank you that from the very beginning, you knew. You knew. At the creation of Adam, you knew that you would have to come and take our place. Through all the history of the world, that that was on your mind. And Lord, we honor you and we love you for that. Father, it's amazing. It's the wonder of Christmas. Father, we thank you that you reveal this to us. Lord, we thank you that you came, that you came, you decided to come to earth, lay down your crown, become a man for us. Lord, it just doesn't seem like enough when we say Merry Christmas. But Merry Christmas. Amen.